You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. We are in studio today talking about episode seven of season three, the midway point of season three, the midway point of Pada Bing, essentially. The episode Second Opinion, written by Lawrence Connor, who's one of the co-writers of Newark, uh, directed by Tim Van Patten, originally aired on April 8th, 2001. We're almost lined up on the timeline, weirdly. This is, of course, the episode where Edie Falco won her second Emmy. HBO synopsis, Tony convinces Uncle Junior to seek a second opinion for his cancer treatment. Meanwhile, Carmela debates whether or not to take Dr. Melfi's advice and see a shrink. Big Pussy's wife, who I forgot about, by the way, until watching this episode. Big Pussy's wife, Angie, regrets asking Carmela for some money to help her sick dog, and Christopher continues to endure a humiliating probation period at the hands of Kinky Polly. <laughs> Kinky Polly. <laughs> Title, Second Opinion, um, three. Junior gets a second opinion. So does Angie Bonpensero's dog, by way of Carmela, right? And then as we learn what leads to my initial comment on this episode, so does Carmela. My initial comment, is, of course, Dr. Krakauer. Big effing deal, in my opinion. I don't know why I said effing. I don't know why I do that, but then drop like 13 <laughs> yeah. F-bombs later on. <laughs> Dr. Krakauer, uh, this is, I'm going to get my NBA reference out of the way, John, so this will make you happy. Uh, Dr. Krakauer, one episode after university mm-hmm. was intentional. Mm. We get this moral reconciliation. The prior three episodes were an onslaught of violence, immorality, and heinous acts. And two and a half seasons in, we're actually sort of comfortable with everything that's going on as viewers. At least the three of us are, clearly. Um, We're fans of Tony and all that being fans of his entails. But, interestingly, halfway through the halfway point of the series, we're introduced to Dr. Krakauer played by Sully Boyer, who sadly died two weeks before the airing of this episode while waiting for a bus in Queens. I got something else to that, too. So Okay. Good. My coup de grace, okay? <laughs> Fashioning Dr. Krakauer as an NBA player. Okay. Dr. Krakauer was a heat check. He was Damian Lillard taking a spot-up three two feet away from half court just to make sure we're watching. And, like Dame does most of the time, he pulls up from that range... Dr. Krakauer was nothing but net. (laughs) Opening sequence. Let's jump right into it. Junior turns in Tony in exchange for no more cancer. It was a dream sequence. Makes you wonder if he would actually do something like that. Do you guys think he would actually do something like that? I don't. I would to cure cancer. The big casino? He had already tried to kill him once. Yeah. That's true. Tony and cancer, like maybe there's a parallel between the, the easy observation is that Tony is cancer. Uh-huh, I like where you're going with that. Yeah. Um, it was just interesting, like why? why that was it, yeah. We see a picture with a caption, star witness weds Angie Dickinson. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I couldn't help but notice the resemblance to January Jones. So much. Right? What a babe. In flashbacks, we hear Tony's voice. We hear Livia's voice. We hear Junior saying peppers and eggs. That's a reference from when he was in his lawyer's office from a few episodes back. And they someone got sandwiches. He also loves peppers with, in Boca. Is there anything there? It's been said twice or thrice, and I'm just positing the question. Do you have any sort of like 
fan lore on that or anything? I chalked it up to sort of a forced continuity or to give us some... Forced continuity. I like tie that. in mm-hmm. to previous seasons. Was the Kennedy sequence before he talks to Tony in the waiting room a dream? You know, when he's standing in the OR talking to his team? It felt like one to me. I didn't see it that way, did you? Only because of when the high regard that he to... gives him later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that maybe that was him projecting... To how amazing this doctor is. Uh, so, so you're it could, it could have potentially been a dream, right? Correct. It was unclear in the cuts whether or not we were going from Junior's mind to reality. Yeah, but was it would lead being... to why his un, uh, unaltered like trust in the doctor and just mm-hmm. uh, I love Kennedy. He's the man. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Goldman Sachs statement that Kennedy says is a classic way to, like, build up our opinion one way or the other of Dr. Kennedy. Douchebag versus, like, stock and trade. Uh, Tony looks offended after he offers Kennedy a favor. Did you guys see that, too? Any thoughts on that? I think a lesser citizen would have taken advantage of that opportunity or been so grateful. Oh, thank you so much, Mr. Soprano. And this doctor was above it all, and didn't need that sort of thing and had a moral high ground. Let's move on to the Christopher pat-down. The line... When I was coming up, this would never happen to new-made guys. But too many people are doing a simulcast. Maybe you, you fuck. A great line. Any thoughts, reactions, or comments on the pat-down? I mean, I like when he takes his clothes off, so... Yeah. (laughs) Cut to a Soprano family dinner. Balsamic, balsamic, balsamic. My mother never heard of balsamic. When did balsamic become a thing? Any research department information on that by any chance? No, but we can look it up. No, but it's tasty and I put it on everything. Me too. Angelo Stanford, who Carmela clearly should have married per her mother. It was an interesting line because what it sets up is this dynamic between Carmela and her mother about like you married the wrong guy. Yeah. Okay? And it also sets up a great line where her mother's chastising her about Tony, you are blowing this all out of proportion. We worry about you, that's all. Well, spare me your concern, all right? And spare me your attitude, too. Or maybe you forgot Dad's little strip mall on Route 17 was owned residential until Tony made a phone call. Bullshit. Oh, really, Dad? The contract you got to do with Sparta High for the hurricane repairs? What, all the other builders were too busy to bid? Oh, please, my heart bleeds. What, the waters don't part for you wherever you go? I earn it. You two get a free pass. I don't know if this show is about Carmela or if this show's about Tony. This line is so indicative of like, hey man, pay attention to this character. She's not just a housewife. Yeah. I earn it. You two get a free pass. Well, this whole episode is her running circles around everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was um, an interesting reveal to know that they're just as liable to this lifestyle because they got some help. Yeah. I mean, within a few little insinuations, it's Carmela's parents basically got mob help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her father, he was clearly complicit and okay. Yeah. He didn't care. Um, Do you think Carmela's a hypocrite, though? We're all hypocrites sometimes. True. And that's okay. Yeah. Cut to Furio. Tony sees the big mouth bass for the first time. Uh, Georgie brought it in. Not much to really say here other than U2's Mysterious Ways. I believe it was a remix as playing. Did you guys uh, know anything about the Big Mouth Billy Bass? Yeah, enlighten us. So it was invented on December 16th on a cold Tuesday in 1998 uh, and was sold from 99 to the early 2000s. It's still around, but uh, 
this show probably increased the sales for it tenfold because as a Instagram Sopranos meme page, everyone's always sending us pictures of that thing. It seems to be active or these things can last the test of time. But it was conceived by uh, Jimmy Industries. Uh, some vice president had uh, visited a Bass Pro Shop and conceived this device that became a household present during those those periods, the novelty items. And it's had some evolutions, and it used to just activate, like I think the one on the show, when you went by it, and then there's they developed a button that turns it on. But there's even Travis the Rainbow Trout, Cool Catfish, and the Rocky Lobster, none of which I've ever seen. The songs on the show were Take Me to the River by Al Green, I believe. So good. Mm-hmm. And then uh, YMCA. Um, they originally, I read somewhere that, and I would cite the source, but I don't know where I read it. I just remember reading it. They wanted Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin, mm. but Bobby McFerrin wouldn't license the song because he was against the uh, portrayal of violence on the show. He didn't want he didn't want his song to be associated with that. There was even different variations that had different songs, like um, "Bad to the Bone," uh, "I Will Survive," "I Like That One," "Act Naturally." Cut to Carm in Melfi's waiting room. Obviously, no brainer. First thought is what we see in the pilot, the opening sequence. It's Tony 2.0. My first thought on this scene, though, was, "Wow, Carmela versus Melfi, mano y mano." Mm, interesting. But are they coming to a head? Are they battling in that perception? It's not an MMA fight, okay? But there is this undercurrent of, why haven't you fixed my husband? And maybe Melfi's undercurrent of, like, why are you complicit in this relationship? Which Mm -hmm. is why she introduces him, her, to Dr. Krakauer. At least is what I'm going to ask you guys. It's just an interesting scene. Two very powerful forces in the show that are together. Yeah. Um, for the first time. Alone. I Alone. thought it was weird yeah. because, you know, Carmela's been existing in this marriage for a long time. These are things I'm sure she's dealt with before, yeah. his infidelity and stuff. And I think after she had that conversation with her mom again about the other guy, you know, I was trying to just figure out why she went. Like, was she unhappy? Was there something she's trying to figure out? And she even says, I just needed to vent. You know, like, she was just, like, probably stressed out and trying yeah. to figure something out. But I think Melfi is, you know, she's a psychologist. She's like, there's probably something else here that you yeah. don't even want to face, and that's where it's, like, all going to come out, and we see it happen. Like, she's yeah. been bottling it up and starting to crack. Melfi recommends therapy. Mm-hmm. That's the big reveal of this scene. Uh, her former teacher. Uh, so she clearly knows who she's sending Carmela to. So first indicator of that. We, of course, at this point have no idea what is going to happen. Um, but... Well, and we'll get there. So let's cut from there to Kennedy's office. Stylistic observation. The lapel on his white coat was very fashionable. Mm. It almost seemed cut from an Italian atelier. <laughs> Is that what you would call it? I guess, yeah. Him, a tailor. <laughs> it's a bespoke white coat. So that was observation number one. Uh, the term nodal involvement, Bobby and Junior kind of have a field day with. They kind of toss it around so like good. a ball on a court. And then the artwork I'm going to mention it quickly because if you want to get a deeper dive on it, just look at Autopsy. He has a great dissection of the contrasting artwork. We see the artwork in Kennedy's office, and then later we're going to see it in Meta's office. The specific focused artwork of Kennedy versus Meta's abstract and Mm. fluid choices. Cut to Angie and Carm in the grocery store. 
That was hard to watch. Have you encountered a friend on hard times that you were forced to have a run-in with in public that you didn't want to, but kind of like awkwardly went through an encounter like that? Like every day. Really? And sometimes I'm probably that person that they don't want to see. You I don't know, know if you it's don't hard even, times, yeah. but it's anyone from my past. There's or a reason I, text back. I avoid Santa Clarita. <laughs> like, yeah. You get into that stage of, we don't have much to talk about, mm. but we are going to give that five minutes of but you can't be how rude. have you been and it was a whole the weird, pleasantries. It was a weird interaction, Carmela even making that bad, bad joke about Tony not showing. Yes. I and was like thrown that, by that. Yeah. yeah. So Angie looks like she wants to avoid Carmela at first and... The idea of she being, sees Carmela yeah, and looks away and, and goes on her merry way. Yeah. So it is. It would almost seem like she's trying to avoid her. But then why park yourself right next to her? Yeah. So that's that's where like at first I think before I always thought that she really was trying to avoid her. But after seeing it this way now, it, it seemed calculated. Like mm. there's a reason why she went to that grocery store. Even Carmela pointed out, "What are you doing here, buying?" This and this. At this store. Right. So you think she was really baiting to potentially secretly ask because she knew Carmela would say something. Well, she didn't. I don't think she knew Carmela would be there at that time. But I think that in the moment where she saw her, she started going through scenarios in her head. She's like, maybe I can ask for money now. Because she mentions money twice, right? Every penny counts these days. They were doing a sale on Imes. Question, though. What if Carm pulled out her checkbook and helped out on the spot? Would that have been crazy? I think Carmela's not wouldn't do that. She wants to help, but only in a way that helps her. Angie, no. Angie's not like can't offer her anything. Her husband's not in, like. There's nothing Carmela can get out of it. And as good as of, of a person Carmela is, I feel like there's always got to be something in it for in her. It for her. Well, I was she lives about by it. the rules, and she knows that. Well, what are the rules? That the family is protected and taken care of, and even if your husband was a rat. They're providing some kickback to her. And then she's a friend of Carmela's, and maybe all of this strained their relationship and made it awkward, but I think she knows that Tony's taking care of her. Yeah, that's a good point. I am, I guess I'm looking at it from a civilian's lens. Like would if, you? It's a great question. I don't know. I know. The answer is I would want to help if it was the spouse of my best friend. It was interesting to see, like, a blast from the past, though. Like, why now, Angie? You know, it's just like, Carmela, it's like all this stuff stirring up in different ways. It's, it's so the beauty of the show, though. Yeah. We and forget. Fish, Angie, like, yeah. it's we so forget, good. We forget, and then they bring him right back, and then you realize the depth of that character, even though we only saw her in one or two scenes, but as soon as you see her again, you're like, oh, Angie. Yeah. Cut to Chris and Adriana. After the shoes, there's a whole scene where they're discussing... We learned that Adriana went down on Penn of Penn & Teller, who's the big one, the tall one. I wondered if they were in on that joke or line, like if Penn had to like sign off on that. If I wrote something in a song, I don't have to clear it if it's like someone's name. But it, it could have been a writer's wink. It could have been David Chase went to a magic show and really enjoyed it. Does he get upset because he's famous or is he just starts to like realize his fiance or girlfriend is blowing some other guy? Like, think, I've had this conversation before, and it never goes well. Like, you think it's like, let's share, like, things. Well, what do you think? Why did Christopher get mad? I don't know. I think I think he feels inadequate. It was really immature, but it just, it, it seemed like it was the double standard. He's yeah. he's talking about it because maybe he felt one-upped, or it's it's like you say, you don't want to know, and you don't ask. Yeah. You, I want to know, but then when I ask, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Polly comes in. 
to get a taste. He goes through Christopher's apartment, takes his piece of the shoes. I think he's with Patsy, right? Mm -hmm. Patsy starts packing up some of the shoes. Uh, We see (laughs) Polly smelling Adriana's underwear. Christopher sees it. Thoughts? I mean, I guess it happens, right? I don't want to judge people for their... Proclivities. Yeah. I think he gets a pass because it's Polly. Tony did it, I would be kind of bothered. Or if someone else did it on the show, it might rub me the wrong way. Tony's more traditional in my head, sexually. Quick location aside. When Christopher later tells Tony about this incident, they're at a car wash. I love the framing of that shot. The shadows. The two faces of Christopher Moltisanti that we always see. The dark side. The light side. The chiaroscuro. He is on the edge of good and evil throughout the show for us. This was another example. I, I think we mentioned it last episode of the fine line that this group has on what is civil and what isn't. And Tony hears all the things that Chris is going through and goes, sorry, this is par for the course. But the minute that he mentions the poly sniffing panties, it was like, okay, he's crossed the line. Yeah. So even there's a moral turpitude even for Tony Soprano. Great observation. Mm -hmm. The location of the car wash, by the way, is Magic Touch Auto Spa in Lodi on Route 17. Route 17 was the name of my first company and it was named after sopranos because route 17 is where the bada bing is that's so cute really you were writing love letters to them even i was writing love letters to them when i was in law school i had a company it was called route 17 that's a cool one uh the song black books i love that song me too uh niels lofgren is the singer he joined bruce springsteen and the e street band shortly after this song came out i believe um, 1984. No motion uh, in the backdrop behind Carmela while she's waiting for Meadow. Kind of a production thing that bothered me. It was like almost like a like yeah. a static screen, like a stage, because uh, you didn't see anybody walking. We're in we're in Manhattan, you know, Morningside Heights, Manhattan. But still, like you'd see a car go by or like a pedestrian yeah. or a bicycle, and I was like constantly looking for that. Um, Meadow was there all along. Any thoughts on why they drew that out, other than to hear that amazing song? I mean, I think it's, she asks the dean, like, she sleeps a lot. Like, she's pretty lethargic because she's in college. Like, that is true. That is true. You get tired when you're in college. So she didn't hear the door. But I also just think it's like, this is a Carmela episode a little bit. Just seeing her sit in silence. Like, what what is she thinking about? I want to okay. know, you yeah. know? Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. You know? I, it was, um, we're seeing so many different. It's a Carmela episode. And this is her nonverbal, let's watch her she's, contemplate yeah. the day. Well, you she's see so her, good when she's not acting. I could just watch her sit in silence. It's amazing. And you're actually, she actually is metamorphosing in the scene, right? She's going from a place of like excitement to see her daughter to like almost like a dark place. Mm-hmm. If you notice, she clasps her hands a couple of different ways and she's almost kind of like in a tense state. She's going to the black books. We see that Meadow's reading a book called The Theory of the Leisure Class. It came out in 1899, written by Thorsten Veblen. And it's a critique of conspicuous consumption or spending money to essentially flex. Interesting. And we were just talking about that, John, a moment ago. Keeping up with the Joneses. And it's fitting in light of what we learned with Angie Bonpensero. And it's also fitting in light of the upcoming Krakauer session whereby he tells Carm to live within her means legitimately and raise the kids without Tony. So that book was like, you only see it. You have to press pause. But it was totally the perfect choice for this episode. Absolutely. Meadow 
to speak of the writing, her dialogue now, she says it's basic. We're way past that. The term basic has made a comeback with the kids of 2019. Am I right? Yes. Nod to the timeless writing of The Sopranos. Also, there's a mention of the new Barbara Kingsolver. And I just want to say, by the way, not for nothing, but Barbara Kingsolver's newest book, which came out in 2018, is called Unsheltered, and it takes place in New Jersey. Interesting. Uh, Junior asked Tony about bad blood with Ralphie. It's a great way to convey that to listeners, uh, that there's bad blood with Ralphie, because we've been wondering it. We know it, but we've been wondering it. Right. Tony wants Junior to get a second opinion. Is that because of his encounter with Kennedy? Like, does he dislike Kennedy because of the way Kennedy treated him? Or is he looking out for his uncle? I thought about this a lot because I think it's a really, if you're not from a family of doctors or in some sort of like routine with it, no one really knows that you're supposed to get second opinions. Like it's kind of a really big, smart move from him. And I think to some degree he's looking out for his uncle because I think he going back under surgery is really serious and you would want to not do that. So I took it as he he thinks he should get a second opinion, like, genuinely. And his neighbor is a huge doctor, so he's like, I can maybe help you. I also think Tony is annoyed how much Junior's loyalty to Kennedy is, that he's like, you know what, there's other great doctors, let me find them for you. Like, his projecting how much Kennedy means to him, he's like, it's just a name, like, why, what's the big deal? I know, you know, other doctors. It's, it's almost something like that, too, maybe pushed him to be like, let's get someone else in the mix. In Tony's position of power, we've seen how he's taken people that would normally try to give his family or himself a runaround, and he's above that. He, mm. he sees that. I think he mentions later with the dean. like He knows extortion. And a less aggressive person would just roll over on this information. And Tony's not that type, and I think if he doesn't stop this, he feels somewhat responsible that it, he didn't try to. It's also old school versus new school. Like, Junior's you know, generation, they just trust their doctors. Like, he just wants them, and new people want to get other people's opinions. It's just kind of how it works now. Why does Junior love Kennedy so much? Is it because he's just this old-school mentality of, like, trust any doctor, all doctors? That's part of it, but I also think the name goes along with it. I really do. It's like a warm blanket. Mm. Junior asks Bobby, how many White Castles did you have? Confession, I have never had a White Castle. Me neither. You haven't had one either. Should we do it? Have you ever had a White Castle? Oh, yeah. Do they exist in California? No, but I heard maybe a year ago that there was one coming. I don't know if it's here yet. Okay. Uh, The c*** hair line. (laughs) All the cynicism. Anthony is a cunt hair away from owning all of Northern Jersey. And I am that cunt hair. So maybe he has something else on his mind beside my full, complete, and speedy recovery. Uh, Junior, all the cynicism. This can't be good for you. I just love that line. Like, Junior, in, he has cancer. He's sitting in a robe. He's sitting in his house. He's watching, uh, like, daytime soap operas. Yeah. But he's still so calculating. I know. He knows. Like, he's what, what does Tony want he's from paranoid. Me? To tell you how close, if yeah. we were looking at, like, a, a hair diameter of... On under a microscope? 0.04 to 0.06 millimeters. That's how close Tony was. That's crazy. (laughs) Let's cut to Carm and the Dean. We learn he's Italian. His name got cut off at Ellis Island, as many have. Uh, Went to Rutgers, which made me think, wow, how do you become Dean of Columbia going to Rutgers? No offense to Rutgers. Jackie Jr. Jackie Jr. (laughs) (laughs) And then we learn that Carmela went to Montclair State. What planet are we on right now that a guy at Columbia is calling Montclair State a good school other than this woman can write a check for 50 Gs? 100%. 
Shout out to Box Goldberg Variations, which are playing in the background of this lunch. I discussed the Goldberg Variations with Patrick Tully, mm. and that conversation is available now. Dope. Um, he was It was actually a really interesting conversation. We talked about, I don't know if you listened to it, but we mostly just talked about piano and music. Oh, I gotta listen. I haven't listened to that one. Radiohead and um, what composer or pianist David Chase would be if he were one. And he said that if Tony Soprano were a piano player, he would be Richter. Tony and Angie. That's a great scene, obviously. Should he have been nicer? I he don't knows, know. He knows what... The reason I'm asking... Yeah. He knows what happened to Pussy. I know. He plays it off to her like your rat husband, your awful husband, but he knows the truth. Should he have been nicer... To Angie. Well, he was a rat. But I think Tony hasn't really dealt with losing his friend, you know? Like, he had to do something, so he's projecting. You always hurt, you know? I think he's taken it out on her a little bit. But I don't know. I don't know what the appropriate response is. I'm sure he's annoyed Carmela said that, but I don't know. It sucked. He set a good example. That's true. Not going to have to deal with that problem again. <laughs> 50 grand, Tony says. The two pricks are holding a hostage. He's Italian. Jews are better food. We're introduced to Dr. Krakauer, who we mentioned. First off, Melfi referred Carm to Krakauer. Let's not forget that. She had to know his style or his worldview. Not only was he a colleague, but also a former teacher. Was she sending a message? What message was she sending? Of all the people she could have referred Carmela to, she referred her to an interventionist, essentially. Someone who was judgmental. What does Carmela say? Like, I thought therapists weren't supposed to pass judgment. Yeah. And then he uses this whole line about how, which I'll play. Many patients want to be excused for their current predicament because of events that occurred in their childhood. That's what psychiatry has become in America. Visit any shopping mall or ethnic pride parade to witness the results. Did Melfi know that he would essentially nail her to the cross? I don't think so. I think he wanted, she wanted to give her the best therapist, and I think he was. Why? I mean, that one line haunts me the whole season. One thing you can never say that you haven't been told. That, to me, like, burns into my soul, because, like, how do you go back to your life? Like, that's why she just couldn't get off the sofa. Like, she should know better. Someone literally told her what's what she needs to do, and she has to figure out what if she's going to take it or not. I, I think she did that by design to let Carmela know that the easy out is there, and someone in her profession will give her that option. But I, I think she knows already that that's not what Carmela is going to choose. But... Carmela needs to see that exit, know that it's not possible, and maybe come back to Melfi to resolve her current situation. It's a very deep question because there's no right answer. Clearly, Melfi's complicit because she continues to see Tony, but I feel like there's a little bit of her knowing that the only way that Tony can get better is if he stops being a criminal, and one of the ways he could maybe stop being a criminal in some idealistic world is if he gets his wife to, to check out, and maybe that's a path to getting Tony better. That's the rationale that I have. We can, it's a two-headed monster. Carmela and Tony. If we can fix Carmela, maybe we have a shot at fixing Tony. 
But Carmela's not suffering with any mental illness, is she? No, she. but she's a co-conspirator. Yeah. She's an enabler. Yeah. And enabling him only makes things worse. True. Which we hear Dr. Krakauer beautifully say, did you hear what I said? Are you listening to what I'm telling you? And you see Carmela's face and the eyes. It's insane. It's so, that's the Emmy right there. Yeah. yeah. That scene is the Emmy. Right? And remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, like, wow, Lorraine Bracco was nominated for Employee of the Month, and she lost. I know. And I'm like, I wonder why. This reminds you why, kind of. It's still a tight race. It's one of the only scenes, I feel like, in the show where, like, you can't think it, it means something else. Like, it, it's straight, like, there's a target, Binary. and just straight. Well, and you somebody, have to leave him. You, yeah. There's, and don't there's, say you haven't been And born. I can't explicate it, like, oh, well, this is what he's trying. Like, no. nothing, there's nothing. nothing. And there has to be a camp of fans that dislike her as a character for the contradiction that she lives. And that was, for me, the redeeming quality of him saying that was what you wanted to reach into the TV and tell her. Yeah, yeah. He is straight, no chaser, okay? Yeah. Krakauer recommends that Tony turn himself in for his crimes and read Crime and Punishment. I want to take a minute to imagine a world where Tony or someone like himself turns himself into the police voluntarily, either because he's had enough or because he's had a personal reckoning over it. First, just wrap your brain around the concept of someone like Tony turning himself in voluntarily and then react, if you can, to how it would play out. Would he get special safety from attacks and attempts on his life in exchange for cooperation? Is there any precedent for this? Obviously, this is an on-the-fly question. I don't expect you to have an answer if there's been anybody that has done this before. But, like, could there be a world in which Tony Soprano voluntarily turns himself in? Meaning he says he's guilty. He walks into a police station and says, I am guilty of these crimes. No, I think he would get murdered. Someone on the inside would kill him. That would never happen. It would never Never. happen, right? Okay. I'm just putting it out there because he says it. Yeah. He should go in. He should turn himself in. So I'm asking. I'm I'm extending the logic. Like, that wouldn't even be a Netflix series because it would just never happen. Do you think Carmela knows it would never be an option either? Yes. Yeah. I have a follow-up question to that. But do you think him asking that question, he already knows the answer to that. Krakauer? I don't know. You think so? Because he hits her with, when he mentioned blood money. Mm. He was making direct reference to a Catholicism yeah. sort of thing. So he was hitting her on her moral high ground and saying, well, that's what he should do as well. Why doesn't he just do that? Thoughts on his style, Krakauer's, versus Melfi's or Elliot's? Personally, just speaking from experience, if I were to have a therapist, I kind of would want a Krakauer. Me personally could benefit from Because sometimes I struggle with what decision to make. Clearly, you guys have heard me tell you for the last month pretty much about me struggling with the decision. I could benefit from do this or do that and don't say you haven't been warned. What do you guys think? Which style of therapist would you prefer in your life? Melfi, Elliot, or Krakauer? I've had both and I just found my Krakauer therapist and she is mean as hell. And it's it's difficult because there's a difference between just venting to a therapist and getting empathy and like someone just to hear you versus someone who wants you want to do the work with to figure out how to fix your patterns or solve problems and actually give you advice because they're the expert in like seeing, hey, isn't it interesting, Naya? You said you're fine 27 times in an hour. Like, let's let's dive into that. Uh, what about Hoffa and the Teamsters, Tony asks Junior. Junior says that was the brother, referring, of course, to RFK. I took the liberty of digging into the history of that line, so here's that. 
Bobby Kennedy and Jimmy Hoffa were not thick as thieves. That's actually an understatement. Their feud was historic and shockingly personal, given the stature of both men in their respective camps. They had a complex and long-running battle that spanned decades. Hoffa, the president of the Teamsters, a labor union, was the subject of Senate investigations prompted by Kennedy to expose, among various things, illegality. Kennedy was working as a lawyer for the Senate committee on which his older brother, JFK, sat. Hoffa and Kennedy were similar in one important way. Both had win-at-all-costs ethos. Take no prisoners. Predictably, Hoffa was unflappable in the hearings, especially early on, before JFK consolidated the power of his family name by taking the White House. In those early Senate hearings, Hoffa was actually very reminiscent to the way Tony handles FBI staffers and ongoing investigations in The Sopranos. Once JFK was president, Bobby became attorney general and doubled down. So much so, in fact, that Hoffa once joked that he'd need a small army of lawyers to stay out of jail. The net result of these battles between Kennedy and Hoffa was the Landrum-Griffin Act, which stymied mob influence by making it really hard to organize unions. RFK eventually bested Hoffa, if legal judgments are how you keep score, on jury tampering charges and later for pension fraud. An interesting turn in the story is Richard Nixon. He was a sympathizer of Hoffa's, whom he saw more or less as an enemy of his enemy. Nixon, of course, battled against JFK in the 1960 presidential election. Nixon paroled Hoffa in 1971. Just four years later, Hoffa disappeared outside a restaurant and was never seen again. Carm smoking outside. The paving guy, she says. Fast liar? Was that premeditated or was that off the cuff? I think it was off the cuff. Maybe he just left. I like the devil's advocate in you. Some pulp, of course, is a classic encounter. And I think it's safe to say that it's one of the most used, got the most tired tread on as far as memes and humor and satire. It's one of the iconic items within Sopranos. Um, Right up there with, like, ducks. uh, Kennedy's giving Junior the short shrift. He must be very busy, Junior says. Tony gives out his number, which I can guarantee you that many people have dialed. Uh, Chris has a side piece. Polly blocks him from exiting. The thing of note for this scene, though, is that Chris goes for the gun when Polly leans back. Chris is suspicious of Polly, but I'm going to come back to something that I've been, you guys have been throwing at me a lot. I'm going to throw it back at you. What about the fucking rules? I don't think he would intend to shoot him. I think he would just be like to intimidate or be like, what are you doing? I'm like a standoff. But like pulling a gun on a made guy, isn't that like Ten Commandments shit, man? Not if you think you're about to be shot by one. Yeah. They're soldiers. So he feels like he's, his life is threatened. He's immediately pulling. You see it with uh, Jimmy the Rat. You see it with Tony pulling out a shotgun in an episode. Mm. They hear bumps or any slight option of uh, death, and they're pulling their pieces out. I like the explanation. Um, we see the fish again. Not a fan of the fish. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of feel. I kind of feel about the fish the way that Tony does. It just it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. 
Quick location note, the motel that we see Christopher at is the King's Inn Hotel in Wayne, and it's still there. If anybody can take a picture of that, that would be legit. Take your side piece and take a photo. Take your side piece and then take a photo. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Bonus points if you walk out with a side piece and you actually make like a 10-second video. You can blur her face. Um, Kennedy at the Golf Course, which is the Upper Montclair Country Club in Clifton, still exists. We see Tony and Furio. Furio has one of his finer moments in the show in the series as far as I'm concerned. Kennedy says, you belong to this club. What a thing to ask. I know. Uh, Furio's line, two lines. Stupid the fucking game. <laughs> it's, it's, so just, it's so good. It's so good. He, spe- he does not have an accent. I know. I can't believe He does believe not that. have an accent. I cannot believe I still don't. And then. You gotta be on a U.S. Which inspired the the best cereal, Honey Nut Furios. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the final sequence, the eyes, Carmela, uh, no words, just eyes. Again, Emmy, 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 Emmy. (laughs) If you can look that way on camera and not say any words and emote what she emoted and have all of us talking about it all of these years later... The prosecution rests their case. I know. So sad, so overwhelmingly emotional. And then the music. I know. It's the classic example of like a super sad scene. I'm gonna go back to Castaway. Okay, where Tom where Tom Hanks is talking to Helen Hunt after they're reunited and it's raining and it's emotional, but what drives you over the edge is the score. The score is what makes all of the moisture in your body come out of your eyes. But every time I watch it, just like when I turn this on at the scene where Tony walks in the door and he sits down on the couch and he's looking at her, he's looking sad and like, and sort of like, what's wrong? Like, you know, the the part where I start crying every time is when he says, you look like you could use a night yeah. off from the kitchen. I know. Tears, because the guitars, the, the, the steel Maybe strings are doing the little, the little syncopated music. Tears. It's amazing. And it is, we are realizing, wow, she just had this like come to Jesus moment with Dr. Krakauer, but she has chosen in that instant, we've realized that she has chosen to stay in the marriage. You don't think she gamed him though? That was my question. You think she's made that her decision already or she thinks she's still mulling it over? She's made the decision to stay. Because it's, again, the regularness of life. She got out. She branched out for a moment like she does with Father Phil, like she does later on in the show. You beautifully articulated this. She's in a fishbowl. Vic Musto. She'll go away for a day. She has a little day trip, if you will, but she always comes back because... Do you think she's coming back just to protect her daughter, though, and just do what... You know? So the question that I have for you guys is, is the 50 grand a way... She knows it's blood money. She's been told it's blood money. Is it a way for her to siphon the blood money away from Tony and her, but for the benefit of her daughter? Hmm. Does that somehow fix it? If she truly believes that 50000 is going to make a difference, then yeah. But to me, sometimes I get all the cynicism and just feel like it's self-preservation for her and one more thing for her to have on her list. Yeah. The Soprano's name on a wall at Columbia. Well, do you think she loves herself more than she loves... Meadow and AJ? No. And it goes to that whole college admission scandal thing too. Like the the lengths that parents go for their kids. This is very similar in many so ways. So timeless when that all hit. So is Carmela the, the Robin Hood in this situation? Feels like it. It feels like she's like she's like, I can't leave. She's probably on the drive home in her car. She's probably thinking, look, Krakauer's right, but I can't 
I can't quit this. Yeah. So what am I going to do? I'm going to siphon the blood money like Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood. She's going to drink the milkshake, as much of the milkshake as she can get. Right? This is pretty good. Oh, you're dropping yeah, you're going crazy right now. Right. Yeah. I'm going crazy. I don't have this shit in my notes. <laughs> okay? She's going to drink the milkshake and she's going to give it to her daughter. And that... What else is she going to do? Move into an apartment and have her drop out? No. And she can't... Can Carmela get... This is another question. Can Carmela actually get a job? Yeah. She would have to get into real estate and she'd have to build spec homes. And I'm not spoiling anything, but she'd have to go into like a core competency. But like... Is she going to go there? No. I no, think she's, she's gonna, comfortable. Yeah. Uh, could a Netflix series be spun off on the basis of this episode? And what would it look like? I have Kennedy MD, The Hands of an Angel. <laughs> That's totally a Shondaland show. Yeah. I have one, probably to no surprise. It is the Krakauer prequel. Ooh. An in-treatment style show where Dr. Krakauer is the Gabriel Byrne, but he's leveling people one after the other. Every patient that comes in, he just motherfucks them every single time, but super dead accurate. I love how the writers gave Carmela a chance, mm. right? They gave her two chances. She was in a boxing ring with this guy, and they give her two chances. One is, well, you know... I may be overstepping my boundaries here, but you are Jewish, aren't you? Is that relevant? Well, us Catholics, we uh, place a great deal of stock in the sanctity of the family. Us Catholics... That was like jab number yeah. one, right? Yeah. And then Carmela goes, I thought psychiatrists weren't supposed to be judgmental. She has a fighting chance, but then when he goes, like, what did I just say? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like down, for, yeah. it's down for the count. It's wild. Like, don't even get up off the mat. But then she gets up off the mat, like Theon Greyjoy. The crack hour scene is a top 10 scene of the entire series, in yeah. my opinion. And it doesn't even have any of the main characters yeah. for Carmela. Does Carmela survive... If she takes the kids and leaves, does she survive that? Yeah, I think she'd make it. Would she be killed in the process yeah, from doing that? I think she could, like, can she leave without dying? Can she actually do what Dr. Krakauer says to do and live? No. I don't think so. Would Tony kill Carmela? That's the only person that would end her life. Would Tony kill Carmela? Wow. Let's leave it there. Wow. <laughs>